In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the most popular devices used by authors of novels and epic adventures is finding a character, usually the protagonist, who is appointed a task or an adventure to take part in. The story usually unfolds this way. The main character encounters or stumbles across a problem. Someone who is maybe older or wiser than this character, or perhaps even some sort of council or synod, tells him what needs to be done. The protagonist now has a choice that he has to make to either set out on this adventure or this quest or to stay home, which in essence ends the story. Because he sets out along the way, the main character encounters both friends and enemies, has a few run-ins with danger, and if there is a happy ending, he succeeds in his quest and performs the act appointed for him. We all know these stories, stories of Beowulf slaying Grindel in the Mead Hall, or King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table searching for the Holy Grail, Frodo Baggins, who must carry the One Ring to Mount Doom to destroy the power of evil in Middle-earth, even Luke Skywalker defeating the powers of the Emperor and turning his father, Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader, away from the dark side of the Force in the Star Wars saga. Each of them chooses to go. Each of them chooses to take part in a task appointed for them and them alone. Each one experiencing a call from someone or someone who helps guide them and helps them on the way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, I want you to imagine with me this scene, except I want you to imagine it not in the temple in Jerusalem, but right here in this nave. It's a scene of wonder and awe, but it is also terrifying, and perhaps in some ways rather grim. Picture this. You have come into this place, perhaps simply to say your prayers, perhaps to do some work around the altar. Perhaps you have even walked in here not expecting anything other than a typical Sunday morning liturgy. And all of a sudden, the entire room changes. The smoke of incense fills this room, and you see angels flying here and there, singing loudly, almost to the point of thundering, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And the noise is almost deafening, so much so that this room shakes and the doors there in the back of the church swing and jostle just a bit because of the sheer stupendous singing. And just here, 
where this altar is, is actually a really large throne. It's, it's really the Ark of the Covenant, but it's a big throne. And upon that throne is God, seated in majesty. And the only thing that we can really see is that the train of his robe fills this temple, fills the aisles of this nave, and his royal robes deck out this room in glory and splendor. Smoke, singing, God's garments filling this place. What would we say? Or what would we do? In our passage this morning, Isaiah, who is to become a prophet after this encounter with God, meets the Lord God Almighty in this setting. And his response is immediately drawn to where he feels he is the most inadequate. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Others of us might say today, Woe is me, for I cannot speak well, or I cannot give up time to serve, or I can't neglect my family, or whatever it might be. And it is interesting to notice that not just the characters in literature, but also many of the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures say the exact same thing. Moses told God that he had a stutter. Jeremiah was worried about his young age. Elijah had a serious bout of depression after the incident on Mount Carmel. We always try to find ways to tell God, no, not me, you've got the wrong person. I think it's part of what Simon Peter was trying to tell Jesus in our gospel passage this morning. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Isaiah's encounter in the temple changed him forever. Now, we don't always have this type of vision, nor do we necessarily have a profound supernatural experience that directs us to our calling. More often, it is that deep stirring in your soul that guides and directs you. A few years ago now, I remember being in the throes of seminary work and was wondering if I was indeed making the right choices. Was I really called to serve God in the church as a priest? Had I misunderstood what I was being called to? I was already serving quite happily, I might add, as an organist and was having some rather modest success with the work I was doing. But there was the feeling of being drawn into something deeper that there was work yet to be done. So one evening, while I was praying evening prayer, I remember coming to this phrase in the collect for peace. Give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give. 
And when I prayed it, it was as if the whole room brightened in the dark of the evening. And all the worries, the concerns, and the doubts, and even the fears faded in the warmth and the glow of that prayer being answered. It was not Isaiah's temple experience, nor was it the experience that Simon Peter and the disciples had with the fish. But it was what I needed in that moment to continue onward, to submit myself to God's will. All of us, because we are Christians, are called to serve in the Lord's name. Yes, there are the big generalized services that we do, which is what we vow to do at our baptisms and our confirmations. There is, however, that unique service that you, and sometimes you alone, are called to do for the Lord. There is service in the Lord's name inside these walls and for this parish. But there is also service outside these walls. Some of it's the gritty work, a vocation, if you will, that our blessed Lord calls each of us to do out there. There are tasks like Isaiah, like our examples from epic adventures that only the one chosen by God can do. And maybe because of a specific talent, a skill set that you come by naturally. It might be because of your status in the community and how you can advocate for what must be done. In the last few weeks, we have been reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians about how the body of Christ works. And one of the overarching themes is that while all of us might not be appointed the same task or may not be given the same set of gifts, one is not to be praised more highly than others. One set of gifts is not to be respected more than others. We all cannot be teachers or prophets or evangelists or priests or deacons or lectors, or members of the altar guild. But we all can discern what our calling is. And discerning requires listening to God and listening to what others around us are saying. And also, listening to our own souls too, telling us, what we know here in our hearts as the way forward for us as we go. When our Lord calls us to a task or calls us as a parish to a specific role in this community, he equips us with all that we need. We can talk about how unprepared we are for the work, we can make the excuse that there are other people who might be more qualified than we are. We can worry about our family and our friends. 
perhaps even what the neighbors might say about us. And it is natural to feel that and to look at ourselves as unworthy, perhaps for what God has set before us. Woe is me, might even be our response. But know that our Lord is with us as we go. Learn to listen to God's calling and direction and be willing to say yes to the divine assignment appointed for you. Learn to read God's holy purposes in this place and in this particular time. Our Lord doesn't call people to a task and then abandons them. He goes with them all the way, step by step, through all the dark and the trying times and the flames and the waters and leads us out into his glory and comfort. Learn to listen for God's calling from his holy throne, perhaps even in this place as his throne room, and hear him say, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And like Isaiah, and many other prophets and martyrs who have come before us. Let us say with courage and conviction, Here am I. Send me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.